0: we were not here last week there is a few copies of this subject of eternal security that we looked at last week so <clears throat> let me pray and then I'm going to introduce the subject of this morning Heavenly Father thank you for your precious word you've given to us that can guide us give us confidence assurance uh, so that we do not have to be tossed to and fro With every wind of doctrine, we pray that you would help us to have clarity. May your Holy Spirit illuminate our hearts to truth and be convinced of your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to discuss the subject of assurance of salvation. In some respects, this is a very close uh, subject related to eternal security. Now for lack of better expression uh, eternal security is more something what i would call objective truth that we look at scripture and say this is what god says about salvation it does not necessarily have uh, any effect upon everybody so an unsaved person an unbeliever could look at the scripture and perhaps be able to be convinced that if a person does get saved, they will always have salvation. But this particular subject, we talk about assurance of salvation, is somewhat more subjective and yet it still is a very critical subject to discuss. (coughs) I thought I would introduce at least briefly, uh, some positions on this subject of eternal security, assurance of salvation, and related to some theological positions that have been held for a long period of time. You have probably heard these terminologies and may be quite familiar with them, but we have on the one hand something that is labeled Arminianism. And then there's another antithetical position called Calvinism. Now both of those have various and sundry extremes, shall I say. Um, On the one hand, Arminians, when it comes to the subject of eternal security, do not have a firm grasp on this. And they do believe that there can be exceptions where a person can walk away from salvation and lose their salvation. So in that respect, even though they claim to be believers and most uh, make an emphasis that a person is justified by faith, when it comes to soteriology, or when it comes to the sanctification process, they believe that a person can, on occasion, and they usually have a turn from the truth and lose their salvation. Now, on the other hand, the Calvinist and some are extreme. We call hyper calvinists uh, They believe them. They call it perseverance of the saints. And connected with that point, if you're familiar with tulip, it's the last one of the acrostic, uh There, <clears throat> they believe that. A person, once they're saved, they're always saved. Now, some Calvinists do believe that though a person is elected to salvation, they really cannot have a full, complete assurance of salvation until they end up in the judgment, which is very interesting. As much as they say, oh, we believe in eternal security, I've actually heard them say, well, we can't be so... Audacious, uh, we can't be presumptuous that we're actually one of the elect and we're not going to be able to find that out really for sure until we get before the throne of God. Now, I hope you understand, I'm not advocating either one of those theological positions. I am convinced that although there's some measure of truth in each one of those positions, I've read extensively of both of them, there are some major theological flaws in regard to that. So be cautious if you're reading either material from Arminian side or Calvinist side, be careful when it comes to the subject of eternal security and assurance of salvation, among other cautions you should be aware of. Now, just from a practical standpoint, what groups of people are in our American culture Lean toward Arminianism Anybody know a few of them? One or two of them. okay the Mennonites are not strong in eternal security. All right. What else? What other groups? Jim? Oh, I would say the Wesleyan Methodists probably more so than other Methodists. Than other Methodists have some problems as well. Wesleyan Methodists. What else? Anybody else? Anybody here, you know, about Pentecostal, Assembly of God, the vast majority of the charismatic movement is very weak on eternal security. And obviously tied in with that is some measure of questions about how they can really be sure they're saved. okay? Now, how about Calvinists? What groups of people in our culture would lean toward Calvinism? Who is the father of the denomination, Uh, come on, class, yes, Presbyterians. John Calvin has been considered the spiritual guru, the father of the Presbyterians. So many Presbyterians hold to a fairly strong position on Calvinism. Any other groups that you can think of? How about Reformed Baptist, so you see the name Reformed Baptists. they would be typically strong Calvinists. And the other groups you can think of, quite a number in evangelical circles that lean towards Calvinism, though some of them would say they don't agree with all the points of Calvinism. Some call themselves four-pointers, one-pointers, two-pointers, whatever. But there are a lot of Baptists who wouldn't necessarily call themselves Reformed Baptists, who also have accepted some segments of Calvinism. Now, caution here. Susan, you have something? Okay. I couldn't tell you how many points. He does not, in my estimation, hold strongly to limited atonement, which is the one that a lot of people who say, well, I accept Calvinism all but this one. So as far as I know, he would not be accepted that limited atonement one. But John MacArthur, even though I have great respect for many of the things that he said, I have a booklet I'm we're gonna distribute to people, married couples, uh, because it, it's so good. There's a lot of good things, but when it comes to Calvinism, he leans towards Calvinism, all right? And wouldn't call himself a Baptist. Generally speaking, he's a modified dispensationalist, but be cautious about it. All right, so they're just just a little bit of an idea of some various views that are out there. Sometimes people, when they're moving to another church and they want to find a church home, uh, it's significant for them to not just find another evangelical church or just, oh, there's a Baptist church, it must be right, or, oh, here's an independent Baptist church. That must be really sound, not necessarily look at their doctrinal statement and then even look beyond their doctrinal statement ask some questions regarding their position <clears throat> if they have no idea what their position is that should send up a flag because these things have been around for a long period of time and they should have a fairly articulate position on this particular area alright now let's dive into this And as I dive into this I'm actually going to be reading to you <coughs> uh, a this particular assurance of salvation in a way of form of a testimony. I have this tape because some other people have an interest in this. They can listen to this. So this kind of a testimonial, what a joy it is to know Jesus Christ personally as savior and Lord, and to know with confidence that you are without a doubt, one of God's children nearly 65 years ago. You say, was that a mistake? Was that when I was born? No, I was born before then. But nearly 65 years ago, as a young child, I invited Jesus Christ in my life. I needed Jesus to save me from my sin and the eternal judgment, which I deserved as a consequence of my sin. Throughout my early childhood, I experienced haunting doubts, such as, am I really saved? Did I really mean it when I prayed to be saved? Could I lose my salvation how could I be saved and still have such a problem with sin anybody can anybody here relate to this at all these doubts some of you will admit it and some of you say well no that's way in the past I forgot all about that periodically <clears throat> when challenged by these questions I would pray something like this Lord Jesus I think I'm saved I really believe I am saved but just in case I am not. Please save me now. Now, I don't know how many times I prayed that as a young child, uh, but nevertheless, uh, that was my experience. I'll just bring something in here. If you have children or grandchildren, you may want to ask them about this because it could be that they're genuinely saved, but they can't quite understand how they can be sure about it, and that this study might help a little bit. It was not until I entered my teen years that I began to understand the doctrine of eternal security as taught in scriptures. Setting aside my feelings and personal doubts, I became convinced from scriptural proofs that my salvation was indeed genuine and there was no need for doubt. By the way, remember to talk about convictions, convictions based upon truth? not just feelings, maybe you too have had similar doubts about the genuineness of your conversion experience. Becoming familiar with the scriptural proofs of a sincere salvation experience and by faith, accepting these principles in God's word can result in a life free from doubt. With confidence, you'll be able to say, along with the Apostle Paul, being confident of this very thing that he who have begun a good work, and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you will recognize as you come with an honest, open heart to God's word that your spiritual experience was not genuine salvation. Your decision for Christ was born out of emotion, a desire to please someone else, a selfish motive to make life better for yourself, clouded with mysticism or vagueness, or simply a mental acceptance of the facts with no genuine repentance. How sad it would be to think that you, were, you, that you were saved to have someone tell you that you were saved, such as a well-meaning parent, or to go through with numerous doubts and then die, only to discover you had a counterfeit salvation. That would be tragic, wouldn't it? And Matthew 7 speaks about this. I trust that the following Bible study on assurance of salvation will help you either to confirm your conversion to Christ as genuine or to reveal to you that you are indeed in need of Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life. As we go through the study, I want you to sincerely examine your heart. Second Corinthians 12.5 says examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. We're going to examine God's criteria for a genuine conversion. Be honest with yourself. The statements that will be made are supported with scripture, which we would encourage you to study carefully. You can answer yes or no to the statements as they apply to your life. Perhaps you are not sure about some of the evidence of salvation that will be discussed in the study. Please feel free to place a question mark beside response My utmost desire is to help you have a solid, uh, secure assurance based upon the Bible that you truly have eternal life. Now, a couple things keep in mind. This study can obviously benefit you and solidify your belief system about salvation assurance personally. This also can help you as a parent or as a grandparent, as you're interacting with children or grandchildren, it can also help you, maybe once it comes to interacting with a new believer, somebody else who you're able to get involved in discussion with them, discipleship type of thing. It also may help, although we call it maybe secondary, might help you evaluate, to a certain extent, somebody else who says that they're saved, but you just have these Haunting doubts. Now we don't know what's in their heart. We understand this, but the Bible does say that we should, uh, you know, by their fruits you shall know them. So there is some justification for evaluating whether a person has evidences of salvation. And it is interesting in First John we see some of this because there were teachers who were coming in among the believers. Who claimed the name of Christ and some were very rigid and pharisaical in some respects and others were antinomian against all laws and they said well you know as long as you have Jesus Christ you can pretty much do anything you want and of course the Apostle John addresses this very succinctly in the book of 1st John epistle 1st John He also says this they went out from us because they were not of us. Because if they were of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest, but they were not all of us. Now that's not an easy verse to memorize, understand. But nevertheless, there's this, there are evidences or there are scriptural uh, teachings that we are supposed to, without being hypercritical, we're not taking, you know, You know, the speck out of somebody else's eye when we've got a great big telephone pole sticking out our own eye. We're not overly strict about it, but nevertheless, there are things that we can do and we can observe. Now, again, coming back to a parental role, a child can accept the Lord as their Savior, be genuine about it, and not be certain about it. But then there are others who accept the Lord as their Savior, and they say they're certain that they're saved but there's no proof that is there there's no evidences and that's where i think from a parental standpoint you're able to see and observe this now we're not talking about we understand we're not talking about sinless perfection like this because we all know we have a sin nature but there should be some marks there should be evidences that are relatively clear that line up with scripture that help us to come to this assurance either for ourselves or for others. I have no aspiration uh, to do certain things that um, people have as a profession. What do you call those individuals who go out to an accident site and they're called upon to determine whether the person is alive or whether they're dead. What do you call those people? C-O-R, coroners, OK? Now, I don't know, do they have any technical terms for those? Anybody have an aspiration to be a coroner? Not me, not me. That would be quite a challenge. Now, we, we have a friend who just found this out, but for a number of years. Uh, he is actually helping a business transporting dead bodies from one location to another. All right, probably a word, to a funeral home, things like this. I think the world is this man, Dell Richmond, but I cannot quite imagine me doing that. I might get hard enough. Hard enough financially, I might have to. Well, we talk about coroners, and they're called upon to do what? To see whether the person is alive or the person has died. Great responsibility. Occasionally, you hear some mistakes being made. Now, I might not be in the United States, but there are sometimes mistakes where they thought they died. They had not died, okay? So, we won't go there. Now, what I want you to do... Is I want you to go along with me and take a test. We're going to take this test in a certain st- together, and you you don't have to t- publicly say what your answer is, but I want you to to write your answer yes or no on the second page here called How Can I Know That I'm Saved? And as you get this sheet, if you don't have the sheet, you know nobody has this one. All right, there's a second sheet here called Assurance of salvation, how can I know that I'm saved? Hopefully it's back there. All right, so this one here, I have developed this. I developed this years and years ago as I was working with teenagers. First three years out of uh, seminary. I worked uh, at least one aspect ministry. I worked with youth group for about three years. And so it was a common thing for teenagers to uh, profess salvation, but not necessarily have it evidence of salvation, or uh, they, they were uncertain about it. And so that's what motivated me to doing something along the way. I've used this for adults and I do remember several incidents that came out uh, that highlighted this At a lady who came to me and said, Pastor, I really don't think I'm saved. I really don't. Now, that kind of surprised me because I thought she was and so we went Said, would you like to go through this? Yeah, she said, sure. So went through. And she answered the questions. It was, you know, kind of counseling type thing. She answered the questions after we went through it. And she, I said, so what do you what do you think? She says, I know now I'm not saved, I need you saved. And she was open and she prayed, and I believe she was genuinely, genuinely converted that particular time. I didn't know that Uh, I mean she came to conclusion that she had made a profession but it was not genuine but she looked at the scripture to help her clarify it another lady different time different situation who said pastor I don't I don't know if I'm saved or not I really don't so okay we went through this And she answered the questions, and I said, so what are you thinking now? She says, I am totally convinced that I'm saved. How do you know? She was able to answer yes to all the questions. And again, there could be some variation. I realize this, there could be some areas that are not clear. So this is not a foolproof thing. It's not really super exhaustive, but it does help guide one when it comes to this area of assurance of salvation please do understand that we are living in a culture an evangelical culture that has promoted something that i think is one of the most serious dangers that ever has entered evangelical circles now i'm not diminishing the significance of those errors of calvinism arminianism okay but it's a subject that's labeled as easy believism, and essentially, essentially, essentially it is—you tell somebody that they're a sinner and that Jesus died for them. Would you like to pray and ask Jesus to save you? And almost every child, you can convince them to be saved. I—I imagine there's some exception, but. I think I know how to convince every single child how to be saved. But doesn't mean they understand it. If I use a formula that is so simplified that does not deal with sin and all the, some of these other issues, uh, there are enormous numbers of people who have been told that they've gotten saved because they prayed a little formula, prayed a little prayer. And what is absent? Anybody know what's really seriously absent in this salvation? Yes. Repentance about sin. Okay, repentance about sin. That is a significant. You're off on tangents to realize there are people that don't believe repentance is necessary today. They don't believe it. They actually teach you don't need to repent of sin, you just need to believe on the one side. This is a problem. And we wonder why there are so many people in churches today that have no genuine desire for the things of God, and yet they claim to be born again Christians. I talked to a man who was very involved in uh, public domain, sharing the gospel. He was at fairs and stuff like this. And I said, So how's it going? You know, he said, Well, in the South, you don't see too many conversions because. They're all saved in the South. They all know the lingo. They all know they're born again, and who knows the weird experiences that they've had? Be careful. Be careful. You ought. I've had some people say this. I know I'm saved because I wrote it in my Bible, or an evangelist wrote in my Bible when I got saved. That's not the evidence. Just because it's written in your Bible by your parent. By an evangelist or pastor the evidences are far beyond that I've even been in contact with talking to a child in front I'm thinking of a teenager in particular talking in front of a parent and I began to ask a few questions to the child and the parent came in and said well, well they are saved you don't even have to ask them that they are saved because they have it in their Bible Tragic. So, let's go through these. We've got a little bit of time uh, left to do this. There's a lot of scripture. First uh, John is a, the book that is probably the most succinct or clear on the subject, and there are others as well. So, the obedience test. I usually keep God's commandments. It is a habit of my life. Now, 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6 now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments and the idea is we're practicing keeping his commandments. he who says i know him and does not keep his commandments is a what a liar and the truth is not in him but whosoever keeps his word truly the love of god is perfected in him by this we know that we are in him he who thinks uh he who says he abides in him, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So it's just a basic question. Now, again, does this mean that you are perfectly keeping every single command that God's given? No, that's not the issue. We're talking about practice. Um, I know this sounds like a strange illustration, but if I ask the question, do you brush your teeth? And you say, yes, I brush my teeth. Then I ask the question, do you brush your teeth regularly? Okay, you get that idea. Then I ask you, ask you the question, do you, are there any exceptions where you don't brush your teeth? And then you won't answer the question. And as soon as you hesitate, I know the answer. When we talk about, certain habits that we have, and hopefully they are indeed a habit, whether it's you know brushing your teeth or taking a shower and things like that. Remember this, that the Apostle John is not talking about sinless perfection, but he is talking about a pattern and basically we're talking about a practice. So could you say I usually or a practice in my practice is to have my life to keep the commandments of God as best as I know them I mean if there's a if there's a question in your mind about this uh, then it's something maybe you need to address little more clearly does that mean again does that mean that a Christian a genuine Christian could not into a pattern of being backslidden get away from God. We know. We know that that happens because we can see that in 1 Corinthians and a few others, passages as well. But can we be sure that individuals are saved, have a solid assurance they're saved, if their practice is not keeping the commandments of God? No. We can discuss this a great deal my point is not to get a deep discussion on this other than the fact that the obedience to God should be commenced with what we know of God's Word and a child maybe know some very basic things you've been saved for a period of time you know some more things you do before I certainly think that a person who says they're saved and does not regularly regularly keep the commandments of God there's So-called salvation experience is suspect. All right, let's look at this next one. The desire test. I honestly want to keep God's commandments. It is my deepest desire. It is not a burden to me to obey God. Now, 1 John 5, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Have you ever heard somebody say this, professing Christian, well, the Bible has a whole bunch of rules and regulations and it's too hard for me to follow that. What do you think when you hear that? Hmm. Question mark. I mean, it's a burden? It's a weight? Obeying God? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, oh, list of rules and regulations. Went through this, obviously, in Bible college, kids complaining because of all the rules and regulations that the college Bible college has set up. Well, most of those are a good majority of the rules and regulations that the Bible college set up. We're not Bible verses or script, they just are basic common sense things for testimony things of the nature. So I can understand some belly aching about those to, to a certain extent. But if a person says they're saved, and while they're trying to obey God, it's a chore to them to obey God. That's a pain in the neck. It's like too hard. I can't do this. How can they be sure safe? So there ought to be a desire. One of the things that helped me, given my own personal experience, is even though I had some doubts and over a long long period of time as a grade school a child, I had those doubts. One of the things that that just Kept coming back to me. I want to learn the Bible. I enjoyed learning it. I, it wasn't a burden for me to go to Bible club. We went to we had a Bible club once a week. I, I enjoyed memorizing Bible verses. I liked it when I heard somebody got saved. I wanted to go to Bible camp. I mean, I wanted to learn everything I could. I had no idea, not even the slightest idea. I ended up being a pastor, but that's what helped me. In some respect eventually come to an assurance like when this question was asked do you, do you really are you obeying the Lord well, as best as I know how I am do you really want to obey the Lord? Yes I do okay So you get a child who struggles and they don't want to and come up with something maybe that's something that has to be done all right the desire test let's look at the world test okay that may sound strange but First John also speaks about this. I love and enjoy spiritual things. I talked about this a little Bible reading, prayer, messages, etc., not worldly entertainment. All right, look at this verse 1 John 2 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, Lust of the eyes and pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world, and the world passes away, and lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It, did you see this in the first part there? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Be honest. Do you know anybody, be a relative, family member, somebody, you know? there whatever and they profess to be a believer but all you can think of is they love the world <laughs> they just they just they have no they have an attraction to this world system anybody know anybody like that probably could raise both hands and all fingers in both hands and we, we know people who claim they can talk the talk What's an expression but they don't walk the walk, all right? So, this is the world test. What are you gonna answer to that? Can you sing that song? This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. I can relate to that. I can't wait because I was made for a different world. I'm not made for this world. I enjoy God's creation, blessings that God gives me, but I'm looking, I'm looking for a better place, like we have in Hebrews chapter 11. Alright, so the world test. The sin test related. Sin always bothers me. Even if I don't get caught, I just don't enjoy doing wrong. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, as just as he is righteous. He who is uh, I can't even read this. He who sins is of the devil. The devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, of the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Uh, whoever is born of God does not sin, and again, practice sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, this is the idea cannot practice it? If you say, I can sin, and it really doesn't bother me, I'm not getting caught, so I'm not hurting anybody else. If you can send that way, mm, how can you be sure of being sent? So the thought is, i Oh, give another illustration, all right? Sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade, we had these tests that we had to take. And I don't know who, who planned the, these testing things. But we were given the test, and then along with the test were the answers in the back. Okay, now this wasn't a teacher's manual. This was given to us as students. Obviously, they didn't understand this in nature. Whoever developed this, we were not supposed to look in the back for the answers. But guess what? It was too easy. Left foot there. Okay, come back. Put in the answer. Oh man, I can't hear that one. Looking at, looking back. The answer. That was going on all the time in fifth or sixth grade, or it was. I knew this, and there were a few times I took a peek and I looked, and lightning didn't come down and strike me. I'm still alive. Thank God for His mercy. But boy, did I feel guilty about this not do this now the temptation was right in front of me that's like putting chocolate candy in front of you. You, you you don't eat anything don't eat anything. It's right there i mean it's on the table with all the desserts how can how can i resist it well i'm just saying sin if you are saved sin will bother you you know randy mecca's part of it his brother uh know him very well for decades he said when I got saved he said I went to work he said he said I had a terrible mouth seen in the Navy terrible mouth John knows the, these things you know I'm talking about it. he says I went to work and he said something happened and I took the name of Christ in vain he said I do this? He says, I knew, I knew I was saved because I, that was not like me. It didn't even bother me before. I see, the Holy Spirit come in his heart. Now, it's only one assurance, but when you're saved, your conscience becomes extra sensitive to sin. And if you see a child who says they're saved, they're not extra sensitive to sin. They may not be saved. Sin bothers them. All right? You're answering the questions, right? Let's go to the back here. A few more minutes. Loving Christians test. I love saved people who honestly love the Lord and want to talk about him, not just nice people. We all like nice people, don't we? All right, First John. 314 we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren and that word was typically used of Christians he who does not love his brother abides in death does it bother you when people say in the world I hate that person we have a few neighbors who have articulated their hatred for some other neighbors and they've actually said it. I hate them. And they was like, devil coming out of that when they're saying this. We're trying to be peacemakers. Hopefully they haven't said that about us. Probably have. I don't know. But that, it's very disturbing, obviously. But then there's some people who wouldn't necessarily verbalize like that. But on the other hand, they really don't love Christians. They could take them or leave them. of sad to me to think about this, but I've observed, and my wife and I have observed some people who claim to be Christians for years, been in prestigious places, and you don't see the love of Christ in their heart. You don't see that. And it really bothers me a lot, because if you love Christians, I mean, if you're, you're going to truly save, you're going to love Christians said, take or leave it. Does it bother you that there are a lot of people, profess to be saved, even evangelical churches, that really could take or leave it when it comes to being with people of God? I know somebody professed to be saved. I hope they are. Would almost never come to church unless there was a fellowship meal. what I don't know if they ever brought any food but they sure ate it you look at their plate and think of why are they coming they're coming for the bread but not for the bread of life the Word of God ask yourself the question do I love Christians do I love the people the people of God I love meeting the Christian now, I do not like them I don't like the experience sometimes that Christians aren't always living up to a good testimony. I'll meet somebody in a short period of time. I only really not know much about them, but I sense that they are saved. My spirit bears witness with their spirit. They claim to be saved. And just this like connection there. I love meeting Christians. You should love them. Not just because they're nice people, but because they're believers. All right. The talk test. I love to talk about the Lord. First John 4, 5, and 6. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Um, so, I just put this little asterisk here. Implied is that my speech is different from the world. It should be, shouldn't it? Grace, season, and so So the talk test. I love to talk about the Lord. Have you ever met with, met with somebody, you're with them an hour, you try to bring up the subject about the Lord, and and it's not like they shut you down, they just change the subject. You try to bring it back to some conversation, about how great the Lord is, and they say, yeah, he's good, and then go off of something else about just something this world. I don't know about you, but boy, that really bothers me why do i have to keep spring-loading conversation about the lord it should be mutual Susan so told me he said it's so refreshing she'll mention so refreshing to be this with this person because whenever we talk it's all we talk about these things but it always comes back to talking about the lord shouldn't it be that way you want to be sure you're saying yes okay Sure, sure, absolutely. So there's a talk test, there's a listen test. Christian, understand me and listen to me. It's kind of all tied in this. It's just kind of the other side of the coin. Uh, we're looking at, you're, ta- you're talking, you're connecting back and forth here. Let's just move along here. The chastening test, this is not specifically found in First John, but talks about chastening. If you're a child of God, you're going to be chastened. I was chase my conscience when I started to go the direction of cheating. I said, I cannot do this. that That's one aspect where the guilt can come in the picture. There's other aspects. You lose the joy, you lose the peace, uh, just things just start falling apart. It can actually result in maybe some other things. But if you're a child of God and you sin, God will begin the process of chasing you because he loves you. He's trying to steer you back in the course. So, you feel like the Lord chased me? I mean, it's like the world can keep doing it. They don't get caught. But boy, I do it one time. All of a sudden, how could that be fair? Well, it's God saying, I don't want you to go that direction. All right? Quickly here, the belief test. I honestly believe in Christ. That is exactly as taught in the Bible. Uh, whoever believes that Jesus Christ is born of God. And everyone who... Loves him who begot, also loves him uh, who is begotten of him. So, the beliefs do I believe the Christ as the Bible speaks about? The belief test say, Well, I, you know, I believe that Jesus is one of the ways to get to heaven, but there's probably some others, other ways as well. Hmm. Makes you suspect of them. You're not thinking that a lot. I mean, it, you should park right on. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And there have been even some very renowned evangelicals who milly mouthed around this when it comes to, well, what about the Jewish people? Well, as long as they're sincere and believe in God. These are evangelical leaders who've made these statements. Well, there could be probably some other ways we just don't know about. There is no other way. So the belief test about Jesus Christ then the understanding test. When I read the Bible, it makes sense to me and I get blessings from it, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, does that mean you're going to understand everything about the Bible? No, it doesn't, but when you, it, you, you, there's a connection there. You, the Spirit of God, wow, this is great. This is good. This is helpful to me. All right, even conviction inside. All right? hopefully it's not too muddy for you, but you should be able to answer these questions with an open heart and say yes to each one of them. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, John yeah. Al Meckes. Mm. Oh, yeah. to hear that. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Now, if through the study you've got some questions, don't please don't hesitate. Don't get too proud to ask them. I want to be sure. Can you help me clarify some things? Because uh, you don't want to just learn the facts. You want to make sure you're applying God's truth. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God that gives us security about our salvation, but Lord, also the assurance. And we pray, Lord, that each one here might have this solid assurance and help us to be uh, the salt of this earth, the light in this world, The needs are great. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.